0: Uh, We are jumping back into this sermon series called Holy Community. Uh, Probably since January, we've been kind of dipping into what does it look like to be the church? What does it mean to be the church? Uh, And we've kind of, again, not sequentially, not week after week, but we've kind of been about once a month taking a look at what the scriptures have to say about how it is that we treat one another. Uh, We kind of looked at the very beginning of the series you know, that we were saved, that we would be set apart. That word holy means set apart, that we wouldn't just look differently, but we actually would live this life of love towards one another, and that has to do with really practical things of how we treat one one another. And then we've kind of been looking at the book of James, which is very instructional about how we treat one another. Uh, The first week, we looked at how the gospel calls us not to show favoritism, that in Christ, we're all equal, regardless of what we look like on the outside, regardless of our background, regardless of all the what-ifs, that we all are to, to treat one another without favoritism, without partiality. Then we looked at what does it look like to actually meet one another's needs? A genuine faith isn't just well-wishing, isn't just prayers for one another, but actually that we would take, a, uh, take seriously when there's needs within our community, doing something about it and exercising our faith in that way. And today, we look at the tongue, and our words, in our mouth. And uh, let me just say, before we even get in, what James has to say is, is hard. It is it is a little hard. Um, and so there's two predominant commands in this passage that we're going to take a look at. Uh, the first command has to do with some of us. It won't apply to all of us, but it will apply to some of us. And the second command will absolutely apply to every single one of us. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I guess, It's the spring, it's kind of moving season, especially here like in Northwest Ohio, Bowling Green, there's lots of people that are moving out, lots of people that are moving in. And, you know, not that you would ever want to move away from this land, the promised land, the swamp land. But if you were to move away, right, you would have that list of things, that checklist of, hey, here's what I'm looking for in like that next place, right? You know, if you're moving somewhere, you probably want jobs. Are there jobs for me? What's the cost of living? What's the quality of life? What do the homes look like? Hey, are there some local breweries around? Are there some eatery places? What's the school district like, right? You have those things. If you're a park person, you like to be out in nature, you're probably looking at the nature parks and how close are you to a national forest or something. Like, you know, you have that checklist. But I'm kind of curious where water is on your checklist. I mean, would you even think about like, hey, I should probably check if the water is like good, drinking, clean water before I move into a certain town? Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati Hamilton County, at least back when I lived there a couple decades ago it, it had one of the best water treatment plants in the whole country you know our 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 tap water was like Fuji you know Fiji sorry Fiji like right out of the tap it was great I loved it I came up here and the water's not as good the honest it's just not as good um, well after the 2014 kind of Flint Michigan water fiasco, the toxic water lead laced water that the city was feeding or pumping into its, its t- citizens' home, we should all should think about the quality of drinking water in the town that we're living in. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I mean, it hit national news that basically the politicians had been covering up kind of that they were, again, feeding their people Poisoned water, lead-based water, which, you know, is connected to all sorts of things, you know, vomiting, fatigue, uh, irritability, diminished IQs, uh, kidney failure, seizures, reduced attention spans, even death. I mean, all these like bad things. What had happened was that Flint, Michigan, they're getting the water from Detroit, but it's getting too expensive, and, you know, as their population was decreasing, they couldn't afford the water. And so, like, well, we got to do something about this. Well, we're not too far from Lake Huron. We can pool water from Lake Huron, and we'll get drinking water that way. It would be much cheaper if we just kind of make our own water system as, po- as opposed to pulling it from Detroit and paying their elevated, uh, you know, their elevated water prices. Well, the catch was it was going to take a couple of years to build the infrastructure necessary to pool in the Lake Huron water into Flint, Michigan. So what did they do? They're like, well, we've got the Flint River. We'll just pull the water in from Flint River in the meantime. We'll pull the water from Flint River, which is just downstream from all the car manufacturing companies that has polluted our river. We'll take the polluted water and put it through our old piping system, our lead based piping system, and our citizens will be okay, right? Well, no, they were not okay. They were being poisoned. We get this, right? Like, you know, water is vitally important to our physical health. And we understand, you know, if you pull from a poisoned water, system, a poison uh, water base, then you're going to get not good water, and that's not good for your health. Well, in the same way, when we pull from our own hearts words out of our mouth, it isn't always helpful. It's not always helpful. Our big idea this morning is this. Since a word of life exists within us, how could words of death come out of us? If we have been saved by Christ, if the Holy Spirit is actually in us, you know, the creator and maker of all of creation, of human beings who made us in his likeness, who then gave us his life. If we have this inside of us, how then could ever there be words of death that come out of us? And what James says is that all of us speak words of death. It's unavoidable. So let's jump into this text and see what he has to say to us this morning. Chapter 3 of James, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into our mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. All right, we're gonna pause right there, and we'll pick up here in a little bit uh, with what else James has to say to us. So we get this, right? A bit in a horse's mouth, right? The small little metal bit steers this huge animal. A small little rudder steers a huge ship. I'm a wrestling coach. We say, hey, with your opponent, control their head, you control their body. Put their head on the mat, their body's going to go with it, right? We get that. A small little member can be so vitally important. And with our tongue, our tongue directs our lives. It directs our lives. And James's direction specifically is about teachers and those who are in a position of teaching. Uh, The crusades are not necessarily a bright beaming moment in church history. Oftentimes we speak of the crusades People speak negatively, you know, how could God be real or how could the church be love or good? You guys had the Crusades back in the Middle Ages, right? And actually, it's pretty misunderstood. A lot of people don't really understand exactly how the Crusades came about. It wasn't because the church was, you know, greedy for money or land or anything like that. They actually were going to try to rescue the Eastern church from the onslaught of Turks that were coming into uh, their empire and slaughtering their people. So like, hey, we need to help our brothers and sisters out in Christ. And then it kind of turned into like what it turned into. Well, the Crusades were made up of around seven or eight different Crusades, but there was only about four or five like major ones. Uh, and the last of these major ones was the 1212 Children's Crusade. And so it's kind of a couple hundred years into the, the Crusades, as we as adults do, we began to kind of get tired of the Crusades. You know, we don't want to pay our taxes there. We don't want to send our young boys there. You know, the glory of the Crusades was kind of wearing off. And so adults were like, ah, I don't really know if I want to get into another Crusade or not. Well, the youth were really indignant towards their parents. They're like, well, come on. Like, we got to go to the Holy Land. We got to capture it again, right? Why are you guys so lazy? You know, why don't you guys care? And so actually, we think out of France and Germany, there's two bands of children between ages 6 to 15 who band together and then left on their own crusades. This is crazy, right? But this is true. And so they left from France and Germany, and they're heading down to the Holy Land. We think, in estimates, twenty to 30,000 children left. Now, along the way, as they were kind of getting down into Italy, some of the children, you know, got bored or missed home and kind of, you know, defected and went back home. But there's still thousands and thousands who wound up in Italy, boarded merchant ships, and then literally disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. I mean, they could have been sold into slavery. They could have then been, you know, kept on the ships and made to work there. They could have made it to the Holy Land and, and died there. We don't we don't know what happened to them. But thousands of children were just lost. We might stand back from that and say, like, what happened? That didn't just happen. It didn't just happen like in a vacuum. Nothing ever happens in a vacuum. If you look at today, you know, any sort of major movement in our culture today, it didn't just happen. Things are building. Ideas are building that kind of mobilize people to act the way that they do. Some of the things that were being taught within their society, within the church, plenary indulgences, hey, go on a crusade and you'll immediately get into heaven. You don't have to work it off, you don't have to do penance, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Immediate entrance into heaven, that sounds like a good thing. A pilgrimage, this idea within the church of a pilgrimage. I mean, we have it today, go on a missions trip, right? There's people that go over to Israel because they want to visit the promised land. That was there in the Middle Ages, Go to the promised land, see where Jesus was born, see where he died. It's going to be a holy experience for you. And then this growing idea of a holy war, which for much, much of most of the, the church's history, we've been pacifistic towards wars. But St. Augustine, a couple hundred years before the Crusades, kind of wondered, might there be a just war? He put that idea, might there be a just war? And as the church considered their Eastern brothers and sisters who were being slaughtered, they thought, might this be a just war for us? Anyways, that's just history. That's what happened. And these children went on this crusade. Why? Because there was ideas that were being taught that were floating around society that ended up directing the decisions that they made. Here's the reality. Words create realities. Words create our realities. It's true. It's the way God made it. In Genesis 1-3, God said, God spoke, and it happened. Our own creator God speaks and creates reality. He creates the universe. He creates creation. He creates his creatures. And we do the same thing. You know, think of those who uh, are just like, about ready to graduate high school, right? I mean, some of you might have high schoolers, might be some high schoolers here, and everyone is asking you, where are you going? You're going to BG? Going to Ohio State? You don't want to go to Toledo, right? You've got like the, you know, where are you, and then there's all this pressure of like where I'm going to get commit, right? And no one commits until they're ready to go. But once you commit, once you say it, I'm going there, then it's real, it happens. And you begin to sign up and that's like where you're going, right? And then when you get there, everyone's like, declare your major. What are you going to do for the rest of your life, right? There's all this pressure, you know, and there's people that are undecided. I don't know what I want to be. As long as you're undecided, you don't have to commit to a path. Once you say, I want to study accounting or I want to be a teacher, you begin to take those classes. You create that reality with what you say. Considering this idea of body shaming, the power of words. What's the ideal body, particularly for women? What's the ideal feminine body? And a lot of women are directed towards that. A lot of our cultures are directed towards what is attractive or not attractive. A lot of women experience a lot of shame because of it. And it's words. It's words that create these realities, these concepts. Jesus even said it about his kingdom. He said in Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. He said this to his disciples. I will give you the the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. What did Jesus teach there? He said, when you speak of the kingdom of God, here on earth the kingdom of God will take place. He was saying, as I leave, I now will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You proclaim the good news of God's kingdom here on earth through me, the Messiah, and then that kingdom will take place. And that's what the church is in, is that we live out that kingdom. We proclaim that kingdom to one another. Jesus said, when we proclaim it, it takes foot. If we consider even our own personal faith, confession is vital for true belief. Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our confession, it directs our lives. It it materializes that which is within us. And again, I don't pray a prayer and then I'm saved, but I proclaim what I believe, and that creates my spiritual reality, and that is what directs my life and my spiritual walk. If you think of creeds, the church using creeds, the apostles' creed, the Nicene Creed, multiple creeds. Creeds weren't just like something to memorize just because. You learn creeds because it's how you learned what you believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe that he made it, and not Caesar, not nobody not nothing, right? Why we believe this, and then it creates the reality we live in and thus directs our lives. Therefore, what you repeatedly speak is the direction your life will go. What you repeatedly speak is the direction your life will go. What you say about God, what you say about yourself, that is gonna direct your steps, that's gonna direct your reality. And so what's James saying? He's saying since words are so powerful, those who teach are going to come under greater scrutiny. Those who open their mouth, this includes me right now, who dare to proclaim biblical truth and biblical teaching will come come under scrutiny. Why? Because the things that we say, the things that we teach, we're telling you this is what the Bible says. This is what you should believe. This is how you should live. And if it's not true, then I'm going to be held accountable. We're going to be held accountable for that, not by man, but by God himself. And so what James says James says, just be careful. Don't be eager to go and teach. Why? Because teaching can be a desirable place. We want to be influencers, right? There's Instagram influencers and social media influencers of all various types and for, uh, shapes and form. We want to influence people. And again, the Bible has lots of places where it says, hey, if you have the gift of teaching, then use it. But when you use it, you need to be cautious. You need to be careful. And so for those of us who would want to teach, we should be mindful of that. I think also, I think something that wasn't true in James's day and age is that being a teacher is a lot lot easier because of social media. I mean, anyone who has an opinion can be a teacher, right? You have an opinion, you go on Facebook, and you post that opinion, right? And it seems all harmless, and yet, when we post our opinions, are we not teachers? Are we not instructors of facts and reality? Again, it's one thing to post a picture of your kid's birthday. It's another thing to share an opinion about something or share what you perceive to be truth. Because once we do that, we step into that role of, of a teacher, and we're going to be accountable to the words that we teach, the instruction that we give. So that's the first place where James is like, hey, if you want to be a teacher, that applies to some of us. Just be careful about that. Be cautious about that. Realize the power of words. All right, let's keep on reading. James goes on. He says, How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue From the same mouth comes blessing and curse. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. All right, so now James kind of opens it back up and he says, hey, this now applies to everybody. Your tongue, your tongue is kind of, it's a loose cannon. If, if you have an un- Checked tongue it's going to wreak devastating consequences buyer beware i mean the things that he says here are not pleasant a world of unrighteousness a poison a deadly poison he says all of us double speak right like we would say i don't want to double speak i don't want to say one thing out of one side of my mouth and another thing out of the other side of my mouth and james says y'all do that nick you do that you speak out of both sides of your mouth uh, back in 2002, it was the, called the Hayman fires. Uh, it was a bunch of fires that were in and around like the Denver area, and it consumed the fires consumed something like over 130,000 acres of forestry, uh, covered like three counties. Kind of the the cloud covering produced like its own weather pattern. They said like Denver, like the ash from the trees coming in uh, on top of Denver was like snow falling. The mayor at the time said it looked as if all Colorado was burning. Well, how did it start? Well, there's a lady by the name of Terry Barton. Terry Barton, the morning of those fires, had received a letter from her ex-husband. The letter didn't make her feel real good about herself. She wasn't really pleased with what she had. And so she went off into the woods, got by a campfire ring, lit the uh, letter on fire, and placed it there and left. And what we think maybe happened was that that letter is the thing that sparked the entire forest. Maybe it is true, hell hath no fury like the scorn of a woman. So I didn't say that. That was on Google. Um, A small spark, right? We've all been there. We've said a word, and we wish we could take it back. We've sent that email. We regret sending that email. In the heat of the moment, we said something, and it made someone feel some some way or disrupted our relationship in some way. We caused inner turmoil for others. You know, James says that we live in this oxymoronic relationship with our tongue. Oxymoronic, like when we call a comedian seriously funny or food awfully good. Never goodly awful, just awfully good. That we bless the Lord, that word "bless" means to honor and revere. That we would come in here, we do, we proclaim God, king of kings, lord of lords, here's who you are. And to our fellow man, we put him lower, her lower than what she is. We are made in the likeness of God. We are made in that same image of glory and honor. And we are to speak to one another with that same sort of reverence and respect because each one of us are his precious creation. And yet, and yet so quickly we can curse one another as if it's nothing. I've got a great little clip, Dwight. I want to cue this clip of what this might look like. Now for my favorite part of the show. Well, that's say? talk to the audience Oh, God, this is always death. All right. Oh, no, please don't show me with Ralph. What's your name, son? Ralph. And is this your girlfriend, Ralph? Yes, I love Lisa Simpson, and when I grow up, I'm going to marry her. No! Now, you listen to me. I don't like you. I never liked you. And the only reason I gave you that stupid valentine is because nobody else would. Watch this, Lisa you can actually pinpoint the second when his heart rips in half. And now. (laughs) It's funny, but it's true, right? We were actually uh, getting our kids into The Simpsons. They actually were watching that this week. It was like, perfect. I'm like, yes, that's perfect. I, I, I tried to think of of times that I opened my mouth and regretted it, but there's just too many for me to actually begin to share, be like Pandora's box just opening up and all the different times I opened my mouth and regretted saying the things that I said. Lisa, in a moment of annoyance, Ralph is not her friend, not her classmate. He is not someone made in God's image. He's a nuisance. He's annoying. He's embarrassing her. And she speaks from that heart, from that place within her and cuts him up and crushes him. James isn't specific about the ways that we can curse one another, but if you go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs has a lots of different ways that we curse one another. One, thoughtless chatter. Just talking just to talk. I'm guilty of that. I just start talking sometimes because I've got to fill the air. I don't like silence, or I've got to have a response just because. As a husband, I have fallen into this trap way too many times. Just recently, Allie was like, I think it's like getting to be that time of the month again. You know what I'm talking about. And I was like, oh, oh, like, how do you know? Because you're eating a lot. And then she's like, "What'd you say?" I'm like, "I didn't say anything. I retract that. I don't want to say that at all." <laughs> I was like, "Why'd I have to make that comment? You know, I've been married 17 years. Just shut your mouth. Ask a question or something like that. You don't make a stupid comment, you know." But so many times I just open my mouth, just to talk, just to talk, or just to hear myself. You know, I want to be entertainment or whatever, right? And those things are fine or good, but thoughtless chatter can be hurtful. More specifically, though. Proverbs speaks of lying, telling untruths, making promises and not keeping them, spinning tales. We love this word, reframing reality, reframe reality. If I just reframe reality, I can just say whatever I want. I'm going to speak my truth, right? And yet we don't realize that we're just, we're giving ourselves permission to lie to each other. Arrogant boasting, use my words to elevate myself above other people, bragging, gossiping, Using casual conversations as a way to talk about other people, as if other people's lives and situation and their person is fodder for my own amusement. Yeah, there are times that we need to talk about one another, right? There's times that we need to have productive conversations. And I think that there is somewhere in that vein where we can honor one another in God's likeness and and talk about and towards one another in this way. But so quickly, in a moment, we're into talking about people just because it just sort of gives us something to talk about because their misery, their bad decisions, their awkwardness or whatever just allows us to kind of feel better about ourselves. Theologian Douglas Moo puts it this way. He says the words, "Sorry, the wounds caused by words sometimes never heal. The wounds caused by words sometimes never heal. All of us, I guarantee all of us could write down someone's name and what they said to us and how it crushed us. In the same vein, every single one of us have probably said something that crushed somebody else. None of us are beyond this. None of us are beyond this. We can't escape this. We bless God. We curse one another. I think of Isaiah's vision when he was with the Lord and he said, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. And the Lord came and touched his mouth with the coals and said, be clean. We need the Lord to clean our lips. So what does this look like? I called uh, Matt Cox, who actually does look at work at the um, local wa- uh, Bowling Green Water Treatment Plant. I'm like, Matt, I'm like, there's got, there's, what's the way that you clean dirty water? How do you guys, what's the process called? This is great. He's like, it's called the activated sludge process. I'm like, that's perfect. There's sludge in my heart, and I need to somehow actively process that sludge so that good living words come out of my mouth. What might this look like? And I just want to give us some ideas because James doesn't. James ends with these questions. It ought not to be so, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't speak this way towards one another. But he doesn't tell us how not to. And so what does it look like for us to be mindful of our words so that we might care and love each other? We might be set apart by the way that we speak to one another. I think of Psalm 34, 12 that says, Hey, if you want a long life and good days, choose not to participate with your mouth in evil and participate with good with the things that you say. So I got kind of a list of five, and this is more a helpful suggestion than it really is within the scriptures. But I think that this is, I found these things to be helpful as I even think about what comes out of my own mouth, from my own sludgy heart. One, check. If you've gone through CPR uh, training, this check, call, care, right? Before you call or before you apply care to somebody, you gotta check the situation. Before I send that email, before I say those words, what's in my heart? What's going on here? So I want their best, so I want you know, this conversation to be progressive, or do I just wanna kinda of take out my emotions on somebody? Am I frustrated, I just want someone to, to know about that? Check, check the situation, check my heart. Check their situation right before I speak. Guard our words. You know now People who are silent never look foolish. Oftentimes when we open our mouth, we do look foolish. Guard our words. And so as we're about ready to speak, as best we can, let's exercise caution and judgment. Am I speaking as if I'm speaking to someone who is the son and daughter of the king? Am I speaking of someone who is a holy, precious creation of our heavenly father? Thirdly, confess. We're not going to be perfect. I mean, I don't think James gives us a scenario where we're perfect with the words. He says, if you're perfect with your words, then you're fully perfect, and none of, us, none of us are fully perfect. Therefore, I'm going to say things that I regret. I'm going to say things that hurt people. So I should be expectant to be willing to confess that. That we as a community, if we're going to be holy, we should be a confessing community. Not just of what we believe, but of when we misspeak and we say things that hurt other people. You know, back in high school, or sorry, back in sixth grade, not high school, in sixth grade, this is before I was even walking with the Lord, um, we, it was field day at school, and uh, it was my class versus the other three or grade classes, so all four of our classes were in a line, and it was a shoebox race, right? You put the shoeboxes on like the shoes, and you shuffle out around the cone and in the back. In my class, in my line, we were in first place, and then Amy Dorsey came up. And Amy Dorsey was the most unlast athletic person in our grade, maybe the whole school. Everyone knew this, right? I mean, I had been, you know, a classmate of Amy since, like, the first grade by the time Amy was done, we were dead last. Like, absolutely, we are not getting out of the bottom cellar of that. And as Amy is walking by me, I can't help but yell something at her for losing us the shoebox race. And I said it, and I felt justified in it, because Amy, gosh darn it, we want to win, you know? And for two days, I didn't even think anything of it, right? I just said what I said. And then one night, a couple days later, I couldn't fall asleep. I I was like, why did I say that? Why, did I, why would I say that to Amy? She already knows. She already feels bad about what happened. And yet I opened my mouth and I had to make her feel worse. And I, the next day, this is back when you had to like get a directory. I got the directory. I looked up Amy's phone number and I called her. I said, Amy, I'm so sorry I said that to you. I mean, I don't even know if she remembered. She said she forgave me or whatever. But I was just like, I just did not feel right. I had to apologize. I'm so sorry that I would say that to you and judge you in that way, right? It's, you know, it's not that hard. I think as adults, the older we get, the less we confess because, I don't know, we don't want to look foolish. But we are. We say foolish things. So let us not live in it. Let us confess it. You see, the curse that we refuse to confess becomes the curse we choose to live in. If I choose to hide my sin, I'm going to treat Amy as if she's something other than made in the image of God. That somehow the summation of who she is is wrapped up in her unathletic shoebox-racing folly. And when I judge someone, when I misspeak, when I gossip about some people, we need to own the words that we say. And if I want to live in God's reality, I've got to confess when my reality is not his. So check, guard, confess. Third, be accountable. We've got to hold one another accountable. My wife is really good at holding me accountable to my words. So and she does it out of love, you know, If I'm going to say something, I need to own it. Within community groups, within small groups, we need to have each other own our words. And lastly, we need to forgive. While it's not directly stated in here, it's stated all over the scriptures, we must forgive. If I know that I'm going to say things that are going to hurt you and hurt others, and you know you're going to say things that are going to hurt me, then we need to be ready to be people who forgive one another. Not that it justifies it, but that we acknowledge that there is sludge in our hearts, and sometimes it comes out. And when we make amends, we confess, and we forgive one another. You know, I think that is the holy community, the set-apart community that God desires for his people. So, if the word of life exists in us, how then could the word or words of death come out of us? Let us consider this as we seek to honor one another with the things that we say. Let me pray to end us. Heavenly Father, I just pray, even in this moment, God, just that your revealing, transparent, merciful grace would rest upon us. None of us are able to escape the things that we've said, the things that we continue to say, the ways that we disrespect your own creation with the words in our mouth and the thoughts in our hearts. God, we are imperfect And yet, God, you call us to come before you not because you're ready to hammer us, but because you're ready to forgive us and transform us, that we might actually be truly the vessels of kingdom speech towards one another. God, would you lead each and every single one of us to your cross, your son who's forgiven us through his death and his resurrection. And God, through your Holy Spirit, would words of life reign in us, would you instruct us all the days of our life that we would become people who speak your truth to one another? Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.